Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Speak. Today's March 15th. It's a Monday. I'm Adam Koplik, joined by Ajay Patel. Um, we actually have a very special guest on today's episode, Brandon Warney of, I, I don't even know if I pronounced that right. I hope Warren. I did. Sorry, Brandon. Yeah. Warren. I, I, I'm sorry, man. But, uh... <laughs> Brandon from uh, Access Twins is coming on, or he came on. We already had the interview. It was a really good interview. He talked, a lot, talked to some twins, uh, projected all the divisions. He had a surprising pick for the AL East. Um, and, yeah, it was a really good talk. Talked, and Twins are a really intriguing team, really fun team to talk about. Uh, so definitely uh, listen to that, <laughs> which is going to be on the second half of this episode. But um, before we do that, today is March 15th, as I said before, and it is the um, – Beginning, yeah, the beginning of the legal, the legal tampering, tampering period. period between noon on March 15th and 4 p.m. on March 17th. Teams can talk to the agents of players, can't talk directly to players except for a couple of guys who represent themselves. I think Larry Fitzgerald, Alfred Morris, and a couple other guys. Um, so it's kind of funny. I've, I've always found the legal tampering period funny because they, they've made it – so they made tampering legal because they were like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Teams are illegally tampering and we're getting all these this, we're getting all these signings like a minute after free agency starts. So we have to have some – we have to make a legal tampering period. But then we have all these signings five minutes after the legal tampering period starts. So clearly teams will always tamper a couple of days before – Whatever period you're going to give them. I always yeah. find it really funny when, like, you know, the teams can now speak to players. Oh, oh this guy signed. Never mind. Like, it's just like bang, bang. Um, so there have been a couple of signings already. Uh, well, there, there were Kevin Zeitler, who was cut by the Giants, was signed by the Ravens before free agency because guys who were cut can sign before, free, yeah. before the tampering period. Um, and then free agency started and the, pay, and the Patriots signed everybody. That's basically what I've gotten. Like the Jets have a ton of cap space, haven't signed anyone yet. Dolphins nope. haven't signed anyone yet. Giants they don't have any, but they haven't signed anyone yet, <laughs> um, including Larry Williams. But uh, so the um, Patriots signed they signed Johnny Smith, who oh, I think is great for their Matt Judon. They just signed. They gave him four years, fifty six. Who uh, I mean I, I'm not, I, I'm not low on him. I think he's going to be a good pass rusher there. Uh, the other big move, Shaq Barrett is going back to Tampa Bay. Four, four years. years, $72 million, yep. which I think is a fantastic move by Tampa Bay. I mean, they are just – it's really cool. Like, like they built this great team, and now this entire offseason, just like, okay, bring everybody back. Like, do what we can. <laughs> Levante David came back. Shaq Barrett came back. Chris Godwin came back. Like, did Godwin come back, or is he franchise Yeah, they tagged. Now? Yeah, so but, so they're, they're bringing everyone back. Like, he's got like that. That's basically what it is. Yeah. So it's uh, it was, I mean, the Bucks, you know, they're basically they're running it back. Like that is fully what they're doing, and they're gonna probably add a first round pick on top of it unless they trade that for you know. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah. So your thoughts on the uh, flurry of signings so far? Yeah, sure. Um. So first off, Zeitler, right? I like that a lot. Uh, he's gonna get to run block a lot more with the Ravens than he did with the Giants, which I think fits him. I think older guards do better run blocking. Three years, twenty-two. I think sixteen was guaranteed. I don't have that number on my head. Uh, I like that a lot. Next, you know, Marcus Golden went back to the Cardinals. He mm-hmm. got, I think, two years, nine million or so. Cheap signing, decent edge rusher. Uh, not much to talk about there. Shaq Barrett, right, you talked about. The main thing I'm concerned with Shaq Barrett, if Leonard Williams gets more than that, I will lose my mind. Dude, Leonard Williams is a borderline defensive end. Like, we're not even yeah. sure. So he – but most of the time he's in, he lines up – well, often he lines up on the inside. So he's already less valuable from a positional yep. value standpoint. And he's not as good. Like, it, like uh, it's ridiculous. If he – See, this like the thing with like the tag, because this is the Giants' second year tagging him. So he had he either plays on I think it's around twenty million, nineteen point eight or something. They sign him to a long term deal, which I have no interest in, or they just let him go. And I think as sad as it is, letting him go is the best like option for them at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's um, good. Like, I, I don't want to like. We talk a lot of crap. I think about Leonard Williams. Like, he's a very good player. Like, he's good. I, I, he's good. I really, I really think. And I know a lot of his sacks, you know, came off help from the other guys. But he, I think, he had eight sacks with no Dex or Tomlinson on the field. Like that, like that, that means something. The dude does yeah, create. That's fair. But 
I think that a lot of guys can create in Patrick Graham's defense. That's, I think that's Graham is a fantastic schemer. Yeah. And on top of that, he's just – I mean, he's not Aaron Donald. And he wants to get paid like Aaron Donald. He's not. And he doesn't have the impact Aaron Donald has. And I would love to bring him back. And honestly, I'd give him a good amount of money. I'd give him eight, I'd give him basically Shaq Barrett's deal. I wouldn't be that opposed if they did that. But – and the bigger thing – and actually, um, it's weird – Gettleman talks about like this flat cap thing that he wants, that he doesn't have the philosophy that everyone else has. You know, you can't kick the can, whatever. That but the smart that's people not, have. That's not what he does, though. <laughs> like, like if you look at the Giants' contracts, like Bradbury, his his cap hit keeps going it up every year yeah. because Kevin Abrams is the guy who who negotiates the contracts, and he's good with the salary gap. Like Gettleman just decide, just says these things, and then yeah. Kevin Abrams is like, oh yeah, we we're not gonna listen to you, dude. Like we're, we're doing this, like. Just go away. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. So, uh, yeah, Williams, as long as they keep the cap hit low, I don't really care what the signing bonus is. Like, as long as Mayor is willing to spend money, <laughs> right. go for it. I just – it's just – I really think that they have other needs. That yeah. decide. I think that, that – you know, they, they, they want an edge rusher, but I think there are solid edge rushers in this class that are – Just not willing rush. to be yeah. – yeah. They're not as good as Williams, but they're still really good. I think that they're like you know Hassan Reddick, Leonard Floyd, even Reddick. Like he, yeah, Reddick's you know, the guy I'm in on. At I, this I would point. really like Reddick. Uh, Carl Lawson, I think he's gonna get paid a lot, but I, I really like Carl. The Bengals, but yeah. And um and then after that, it's like your in, interior defensive lineman is the position of depth for the Giants. Like they have very few, but B.J. Hill's still good. Uh, I mean, Dex Lawrence is really, really good. EJ Hill, Dexter Lawrence, right? Uh, they made Austin Johnson look good last year. Yeah, which, I'm telling again, you, Patrick, Patrick Graham. Graham is a fantastic defensive yeah. coordinator. That is the best move that's been made of the Joe Judge era so far. Like yeah. he would, I want him here for a long time. Like he is really, really good, and that is why. And, and this is also something I think Williams. He may get if the Giants overpay the hell out of Williams. I think this time next year. You could be sitting here being like, well, Williams lives up to the contract because I think Patrick Graham's going to put him in positions where he could have a 12-sack season again. Like, he could really yeah. have put up numbers. It's just that a lot of other guys could probably do somewhat, maybe 90% of that production for Very half a lot cheaper, yeah. 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 Um, but, so I think that Williams is is likely to come back. I, the, the Giants have to get this deal done, though. They, like, like, you got to do this by Wednesday because – you have other needs to fill. Like, really yeah. do, and yeah. you know, even if you make it twenty million a year, as long as you make the cap it this year, like Shaq Barrett's cap it this year is six million dollars at eighteen million a year because they yeah. are good at the cap. So make the cap it for Williams six million dollars, and then spend some money on Kenny Galladay or Hassan Reddick or some edges or some even some depth corner pieces. Like, yeah. I, I'm really interested to see what the Giants do. They've done nothing so far. I don't think it's going to be one of those like quantity. Free agent classes for them. I, I, I think that hope not. I I could I really could see them. It seems like they're very much in on Kenny Galladay. Like they really yeah. seem. I think he is a perfect fit for a Garrett offense. Like maybe they end up overpaying him. Although the Ian Rappaport thinks he gets between fourteen and sixteen, which I would be completely for with Kenny Galladay. Yeah, I think that's mainly injury concern bringing that down from like eighteen. I still think he'll end up with like eighteen million. Mm-hmm. Fourteen to sixteen seems a bit unrealistic to me for a guy yeah. like. Who had similar numbers just by like counting stats to like Calvin Johnson his first couple years, so um, yeah, I don't think he'll get 14 to 16, but 18 seems like a good number. Yeah, I, I think that Galladay is one of those guys that I think Jason Garrett's scheme sucks. Like, I, I mean, I think we agree there. Like, he's a bad offensive coordinator. He doesn't yeah. put his players in good positions. I think it's gonna hurt Daniel Jones if this is Daniel Jones' prove a year. I think it's gonna hurt him that he's in Garrett's scheme, but they don't want to mm-hmm. give him a new offense or whatever. No, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I think Kenny Galladay is one of those few guys who can make this scheme look good because okay. Garrett really likes big receivers. Joe Judge likes big receivers. Dave Gettleman likes big receivers. Daniel Jones will do great with a big receiver. Like J- Jones has a lot of those situations where he just says, okay, screw it. I'm I'm tossing it up now. Damn. And, I mean, he did it with Darius Slayton a lot. And he did it more in the Pat Sherman days, which I think was better. I think he he's a good deep ball thrower. I, I would like yeah, to I see, see that. Garrett do that more. And I think Kenny Galladay is one of those guys that, you know, I I don't care that much about – I mean, I do care. Like, the difference between a guy like Kenny Galladay and, I don't know, take like Curtis Samuel, 
for example, and I, and I actually am not. I don't hate Samuel, who's a small receiver. He's quick. He gets separation. Galladay doesn't get that much separation. He's pretty fast, mm. but he's not that. He's not doesn't have blazing speed. Yeah. But he is so big and so strong at the catch point that you just toss it up. And the, what do you think about it? That's the most important thing. Like yeah. you need a guy who can come down with 50-50 balls because once he can do that, then you know. I mean, who cares about? the yards after catch if you don't need that many yards after the catch yeah I guess up 30 40 yards and he just comes down with it right so i i really would be down i think they should be all in on galladay i know that they don't have that much money but create whatever cap space necessary and just get him to the giants because i think that's a perfect fit and i i feel i feel like we've talked about this before but the biggest thing is it puts less pressure on them at 11 like you don't need one of the four big receivers i'm carrying pits there i, would uh, still I still like one I, I I think that you can go you can you can uh, kick the can down in the second round. I think this is a lot of depth in this class that you can go with. I don't know a Slater, or Sertain, Michael Parsons, one of those guys at eleven, and then hope that you know uh, Kadarius Tony or uh, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. Like, there's a lot of really good receivers. This is a, there's a lot of depth in this class that that's fair, yeah. You know, you don't need a number one if you have Galladay. I still, w- I would not be opposed to them getting Daniel Jones two number ones. You know, yeah. if they can mix the perfect combination. If they can go Galladay and free agency and then bring in Jalen Waddle, I mean, there could not be two guys to complement each other better. Like Waddle's speed on the outside, right. Shepard at, at the slot, and Galladay's size. Like that is that would just be a disgusting receiving core that even with Jason Garrett, even with that offensive line, it would end any excuses for Daniel Jones. Like you can't do something yeah. with those guys. You can't, you know, block in this league. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I still, you know me, I'm like big pass guys. So I don't think they can afford like settling for like a mid tier guy and Galladay. Cause I'm still, I'm not completely sold on Galladay being the guy that like completely elevates this offense from like uh, 17 points per game, say like 21, 22, right? I still think they need a speed guy there. Which if you like look at like the Chiefs and the Bucks, right? Like they, the Chiefs have two elite receiving options: Hill, Kelsey. Uh, the Bucks have like they had three last year, right? If you want to go, uh, Godwin, Evans, AB. So I still think uh. It would be really helpful. Just draft another playmaker. Which one it is, I don't care at the four. But speaking of another Lion, uh, Romeo Okora signed back with the Lions. Three years, $39 million. I really like that deal for them. Um, former Giant. Former Giant. Cut, cut for day 2018, man. Yeah, that oh was disgusting. Um, it's I like the deal a lot, though. Yeah, Okora. I do, too. Yeah, had a really good pressure rate last year. He's like 24th out of all edge rushers, and they don't really have much on that line defense besides like Trey Flowers was there, I think. Mm-hmm. So I like that deal a lot. Um, Pat Efline, Efline signed with the Panthers. He raised like an interesting case to me because like I wonder how NFL teams look at like sample sizes because mm-hmm. he was good with the Jets for a little last year. But if you talk to any Minnesota fan before that, they'll be like, oh, this guy sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, that's an interesting question in terms of sample sizes. Like, I, and it's 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 not as much, but there is somewhat, you know, t- even with like Leonard Williams, like the right. dude had a great year last year. Before that, yeah, he's like the there was a lot of questions yeah. about, there were a lot of questions about his, you know, pass rush ability, if he right. can finish the on sacks. And he did last year, but can he do it next year? I think that, I, I think that the league will always be a what have you done for me lately. Yeah, so yeah. you could have 10 great years, you have one really bad year, your value plummets. Mm-hmm. You have 10 crappy years, you have one really good year, your, your value goes up. 10 is a lot because no no, yeah. nobody really plays 12 years anymore. But, um, yeah, and with that uh, Okora contract, I like it a lot. I think yeah. that Dan Dugan just tweeted this, a Giants beat reporter, but they're, the, val- the edges have not been getting paid that much this year. No. And I, I honestly think that we've, you know, had like this is another reason that you really should not pay Leonard Williams that much, because, listen, like this year, everyone's getting paid less. The salary cap plummeted from what was expected. So unless you're gonna backload the hell out of this contract, Leonard Williams is not a twenty million dollar year player, especially not in this market, because he's not yeah. that much better than everybody else. He's that's, a seventeen that, year million dollar right. Year. That, Plus, that's why I like Hassan Reddick a lot, because I don't think he gets more than Matt Judon in free agency. 
Judon got four years, 56, right? Redick, you could probably get for two or three-year deal. I'm pretty sure he's older than Judon. Um, he doesn't have as much of like a track record, I think. He had like kind of a similar to Williams, like a breakout type year this year um, with like the 5.5 sacks against us or whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was insane, yeah. man. So I think Redick would be a really good fit. Obviously, Pat Graham can do like whatever he wants with like almost any player. Um, speaking of the Patriots, though, they also got Jonu Smith for a big deal. Mm. I, for, all right, from like a fantasy standpoint, like I love that deal because like they don't really have much there, right? Jonu, I have him in Dynasty, so I think he's going to be a great fit there. But in terms of actual like contractual value, unless they make him a star tight end, I don't really like it for New England. Like I know they had a really weak tight end core, but. It seems like a lot of money, especially like you mentioned, like a depressed market, right? I'm not so sure what they were thinking there. I think that uh, New England likes paying. New England loves their tight ends. Yeah. And tight ends consistently get paid because there aren't that many great pass catching tight ends, and John Smith's a really good pass catching tight end. And so that, that's I think that they'll always get overpaid. Uh, I think Hunter Henry did. Did he resign? No. He, that's another domino this because the patriots were like his main suitor in free agency so i yeah. wonder where he goes now yeah so I, I think henry will get a massive deal because and he's not that good but tight ends get massive deals consistently yep. um and yeah i, I agree he, they overpaid him but but I it's think not like that they love, it's not yeah. horrible and they love their tight ends they yeah. mold tight ends really well so i could i could see him thriving really well with um not just with New England's concepts that they've always done been tight end heavy, but I mean you remember Cam Newton with Greg Olson right. thrived really well with a good tight end, yep. so and they brought uh, Cam back. They just spent a lot of money this year. Like I don't think Cam's gonna be the starter still, um, unless they draft like a de- de- uh, like a development type guy at fifteen. I think their pick is yeah, uh, something. Like, yeah, because um, I know like everyone saw his contract and was like, oh, he's getting fourteen million. That's starter money. But his base salary is only $5 million and uh, a lot of his like, incentives, which are all unrealistic because I don't see how he wins MVP, Super Bowl MVP, or like a Pro Bowl MVP. Um, but yeah, I like New England. Like You can't really question Bill Belichick at this point or ever, yeah. so you know it's whatever. The Texans re-signed Andre Roberts – or not re-signed. They signed Andre Roberts for like two years, $6 million. That team is completely lost. I have no idea what they do. They signed uh, Mark Ingram. They're building the oldest running back room ever with him and David Johnson. Um, Yeah, nothing makes sense what they're doing. Uh, Something that got passed over, though, I thought this was pretty interesting. The Rams put a first-round tender on uh, the undrafted rookie quarter. They have Darius Williams. I like Williams a lot. He was undrafted, but he was like... Him and Ramsey were, like, probably one of the best cornerback duos in the league last year. Um, I'm glad they'll be able to keep him because they're losing Josh Johnson. They couldn't tag him because, like, Salary, who's one mm. of the best coverage safeties in the league. So, yeah. yeah, I think Williams is a good, not get, but, you know, uh, retain for them. Yeah, and um, another move that happened uh, – oh, no, not this is not a move. But uh, so according to Justine Anderson, kind of y'all say he's being patient right now and enjoying the process – yeah. I don't know what that means. You know, that also could mean the dude. He's being patient until you know. It's oh, just like, that's a really good deal. Okay, I'll take that. Like, yeah. um, Galladay is going to be the biggest, um, you know, domino to fall. It's not a great wide receiver class after Galladay probably on the open market. Corey Davis, Juju. I saw uh, Dan that was being like uh, Giants like possible targets, and he put Isaiah McKenzie and no, Nelson Aguilar on that list, and yeah. <laughs> Honestly, listen, I mean, Aguilar had those patch dropping issues in Philly, which is like obvious. Yeah. I'm sick of guys. He, he, looked, he looked fine last year. But he was good last year. Yeah. He's a big guy. I mean, he's not as good as Kenny Galladay. He's nowhere near as good as Kenny Galladay. But he's that, you know, if you want the D tier Kenny Galladay, you go yeah, get him. I can just. Like, I, I wouldn't call him a Walmart Kenny Galladay because I don't think. I feel like that's too high. I feel mm-hmm. like it's, it's a dollar store Kenny Galladay to be yeah. a little more than Walmart. Like a, yeah. Like a five dollar store type, yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Uh, the Niners, who I liked actually, they re-signed Jason Verrett for like six mil, I think five point five. Yeah, that's a really good move, I think. I, I like think they're gonna lose Sherman too, so I think that was more important than ever. Um, and then I think the last 
one I'm missing. The Patriots, so they signed Judon. They signed Jonu Smith. They just signed Jalen Mills to a four-year, $24 million deal. I don't think Mills is pl- just plainly speak. Like, I don't think he's good at football. Um, hopefully they make him look better. Uh, the main thing I remember him for him was, like, being forced to become, like, an outside cornerback for the Eagles because everyone got hurt on that team. Yeah. Um, and then they also signed a nose tackle from Miami, Devone. I have no idea how to pronounce his last name. It's spelled G O D C H A U X. Gotcho. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. The interesting thing about that to me was because he's clearly worse than Dalvin Tomlinson to me. So I think Tomlinson will get around 11, 12 million. I don't think he's going to get the 13 to 14 we were expecting. But uh, I still wish, you know, Tomlinson could have came back to the Giants. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I, it's just it's another move. I, you know, I I don't think Thomason's that. I I I think that again they have good off in, interior defensive line depth. I think that they can fill him well. Yeah. And you know maybe you draft a guy in the fourth round, third round. But I still I would have liked bringing him back. And if they end up getting Williams for $17 million a year, then, yeah, let Thomas walk. I just don't think it's going to be that. I think they're going to end up having to overpay the hell out of Williams. Um, but really, they got to figure it out. They have yeah. – uh, obviously, the tampering – you want to know how much cash space you have to work with during the tampering period. And I think that is a big reason they haven't made any moves yet. They're just not sure. Mm. But they can come into a, a principal agreement with Kenny Galladay, sign him at 4 o'clock, but – you know, you need to make sure that you know what how much cap room you have. And listen, if by Wednesday there's no long term deal, you rescind the tag. Like yeah. you, it's not, it's it's just not worth it. Like if if he's sticking at, I'll get four years, twenty three million dollars a year on the open market. Like let him try it, and then we'll see what he gets. And I don't think he gets that much. I think he'll no. get paid though. But yeah. I yeah, it's just a pretty bad situation for them to end up in. Uh, there's a bunch of people on like Giants Twitter and stuff who find the need to defend Gettleman for like whatever he's got himself into with this. Um, but like plainly said, a team in year three or year four of a rebuild has three million dollars in cap space, doesn't have offensive weapons, doesn't really know what they're doing like on the O line, right? Like we're back to being young again, which is something, I guess. Um, and I like how all of our talks just end up us just berating the Giants. So we can start yeah. talking about, like, the 2011 U.S. Open, like, third-round game, and we'd be like, in conclusion, so Dave Gettleman, man, holy. <laughs> yeah, Um. in case you haven't gotten, we don't like Dave Gettleman. No, he's not good. Like, listen, man, I... I People think that, like, you want to hate every move he makes. Like, I don't. I think that he really made some really good moves last manager. year. Yeah, I want I I hope and pray that he wakes up one day and like maybe gets like knocked on the head. And he's like, oh crap, that was a bad Find move. Like let me folks. let me rescind that. Like <laughs> get some of those computer folk, um, computer. Uh, I think that I think he's not he's just not good. I think he's just ancient. I think yeah. I I, I like the dude. It seems like every time he says, you know, some people have this philosophy. I have the opposite philosophy. He's always disagreeing with what winning teams do. So it's like, people think that it's a passing game. I still think it's a running game. People believe in positional value. I don't believe in that. Like, people don't believe, people believe in kicking down the can. I don't believe in that. Like, that's how teams win. So, like, you're wrong, buddy. Like, people believe in trades back. Yeah. um, Gettleman, like, aside, the cap space thing you mentioned, it's pretty interesting because, like, there's a lot of people, like, with the amount of, like, you know, uh, cap manipulation, the void contracts, which are coming out. There. I really like the idea of that. I'm surprised teams haven't done it earlier. But um, it's not that cap space isn't real. It's just that teams know how to manage their cap. Like, you see, like, the box people, like, oh, how does Tom Brady always get to, like, uh, sign whoever he wants, blah, blah, blah. He takes cheaper deals so his team can like effectively uses the cap, uh, use the cap. Like it's not that hard to like understand what teams are doing, and like you mentioned, right, pushing a deal down a couple years to get more cap space this year, and then doing it again and again and again. Like the Saints, right? They're like negative seventy-seven mil in cap space coming into the year, and now they're almost back to zero. So it's just like it's not a matter of cap space not being real. It's just knowing how to manage it. And like you said, I don't think Gettleman or for 
the matter of fact, Kevin Abrams really know what they're doing in that sense? Uh, I kind of disagree about Abrams. I think he's not bad with the cap. I think, you know, Nate Solder's contract was albatross because that's what you had to pay the dude. But yeah. it would have been off the books last year in terms of dead money. I think yeah, Abrams does a solid job of moving things around. I just don't trust any part of his like you know actual player I don't want to analysis see schools. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he. Know, I don't. I don't think he knows how to analyze talent, and I'm scared that he's the next man up. Um, it, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising. They're just or, or Chris Mara probably <laughs> like, yeah, like John Mara's no run himself. Give, <laughs> give Saquon Barkley a mil, hundred million dollars a year, but like it's just that it's just these philosophies. Like, listen. I'm not saying that they have to go and you know check everyone's EPA per play, but you got to catch up to 2010 at the very least. Like they're stuck in the 90s. Yeah. Like like football is not the same, and it's not that surprising that you know teams that throw the ball well win games. Like yeah. it's like Gettleman seems like the kind of guy who would look at like Todd Gurley in games where he gets 25 plus carries. They're eight and zero. Like yeah, no crap. Yeah. One more when you're up a lot. Like that's yeah, not the Zeke Elliott stat. Whenever they got like twenty plus carries or something, they'd always win. Like yeah, shocker. <laughs> Teams throw when they're behind. <laughs> like this isn't this isn't rocket science. Yeah. Um. But man, I, I I mean I think that I do think Gelman has a good amount of control, but I do think that you don't let a GM who's fighting for his job get the reigns by himself and nothing, I don't think yeah, nothing's gonna end well if that so happens i think joe judge has a lot of say and i think that's a reason gentleman has always it seemed like you know he signed guys to what the coaches want yeah he obviously has his own you know saquon was his pick he he loves saquon but you know those first two years in Shermer, they signed a lot of better guys like kareem martin horrible draft mm-hmm. horrible signing but that was a better guy yeah, i think judge and uh Graham definitely know what they're yeah. doing. I think they have a lot of say, and I think they know what they're doing, and that's why I am not that unconfident in the future of the team. I just really wish that Gettleman was out, and I, I wish the guy running things was the guy that Judge picked because I yeah. I do trust Joe Judge, and yeah. even like his last week statements, he said, you know, this the passing. passing yeah. That's such a little thing, and it's such a th- it's a thing that twenty nine teams know yep. or thirty one teams know. But we need to recognize it. Like, yes, good. Thank you. Get a GM yeah, at that time. So, I don't know, man. Well, uh, we'll see what else happens to free agency. We'll be back on Thursday where I think basically every big-time free agent will be gone by then. So because the NFL and the NBA and NHL free agency are 10 times better than MLB. Never forget yeah. that. But we'll be back on Thursday for a um, top five. So we can yeah. um, do some free agency-oriented or maybe not. Mm. We'll see. So tune in for that. And, um, yeah, so – Thank you for listening. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Not thank you, you for listening. Interview. We, we got an interview coming up. <laughs> um, we already did that. I forgot about that. So, yes, not stay tuned, but I don't know. Keep listening. Don't like, turn your phone don't, off. Don't, don't shut it off. Like, it's going to happen. Please. Three, two, one, now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Speak. We, today we are joined by Brandon Warren of Access Twins. Brandon, thanks for coming on, man. Good day, guys. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, good, good. So, um, you're obviously Twins reporter, Twins fan. Uh, just you know, as a first question, what is your outlook on the team's team this season? Like, you, is our expectations high? I mean, obviously they should be pretty high, but you think you guys yeah. can get that playoff win? Well, yeah, it's been a. a... <laughs> 18 straight losses is no joke. I was a first-year college student when they won their last playoff game. So, wow. yeah, it means I'm old, which is it's okay. <laughs> there's, there's benefits to being every age. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a team that, that didn't change much from last year and didn't change much from the year before at that point as well. The core is fairly similar. Basically, the biggest difference is Eddie Rosario is out of the picture, which he's still in the division, so they'll still see plenty of him. But they did a few things to kind of tighten up some of the margins. They got a better defensive shortstop, moved their shortstop to second, and just kind of a lot of that cleaning up that I think gives them a better chance of making noise, not only during the season, but in October. I just think that they are more well-rounded than the White Sox, so I still think People are a little bit too high on the White Sox hype train and a little too low on the Twins. So put me on the record for that. Yeah, yeah I think we both agree with that sentiment as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, Andrelton Simmons, you mentioned, right? Great defensive shortstop, probably one of the best to watch in baseball. I think he'll definitely help. I don't know how well Jorge Polanco has done the past couple of years. Um, I've always thought of him as like, you know, an above average offensive shortstop, but kind of eh defensively. So I think Simmons will definitely help there, like you mentioned. And then I also think they added Alex Colome, Colomi to the bullpen, right? I don't know if I mm-hmm. pronounced that right. Yep. Um, yeah, so I like the additions they made to the bullpen, too. They kept some of the guys. Uh, I also like them over the White Sox, like you mentioned. One thing, though, I'm curious about to hear, uh, what's Mitch Garver's role on the team this year? It's he, He's going to get a lot of time behind the plate. And last year was an aberration, and I know that's yeah. how the Twins view it, too. He he started slow, got hurt, and then never really got the chance to get going again. And what we've seen from teams in the playoffs and, like, late down the stretch in previous years is they'll find a catcher they trust and stick with them. Right. Like, even if their starter is is supposedly good, like Gary Sanchez last right, year. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sat on the bench. Uh, Yasmani Grandal for a while there when he couldn't catch the ball in the playoffs a couple years ago before the Dodgers uh, didn't bring him back in free agency. It happens. And so that's what happened with Ryan Jeffers. Now with Garver and Jason Castro before that was a more obvious platoon. You had a left-handed hitter and a good defender. You have a right-handed hitter who's not quite as good defensively. Now what you have is two righties in Garver and Jeffers who can both hit. Jeffers has probably got the higher defensive ceiling and is probably going to be a better defender. If you ask me again at the end of the season, but there's not certainly going to be much rhyme or reason as to who's going to play on a given day yeah. based on the fact mm-hmm. that they're the same handedness. So I think the hope would be to get them both into a hundred games with DHing, maybe playing a little first base and some late inning pinch hitting that sort of thing. But it, it's tough to say, I think if I were to project one or the other playing more, it would be Garver. He's a little older. Whereas with Jeffers, We've only seen, I think, 50-some plate appearances. Right. He looked good, but they could send him back and and go a more traditional route with a strict backup and let Garver play five days a week. So you um like, like I, I, you mentioned that it's very similar to the team from last year. I think obviously Simmons is a great fit because it's such a it's such a great offense that you don't really need you know mm-hmm. your shortstop to produce that much offensively and his defense is through the roof. But um. I feel like pitching has always been the kryptonite for them the past couple of years. I mean, the offense has been ridiculous, but it's just been struggling with pitching. And their moves this year, I mean, Happ and Shoemaker, do you think either of those moves really help them move the needle at all? Or do you think that they are going to be more active again in um, at the deadline to try to get that three, number three starter? Well, I think they really like Michael Pineda. It's just a matter of keeping him on the field because he was hurt. He had Tommy John and then suspended. And so uh, just a sheer fact that he's hit free agency twice, once after Tommy John, once after a suspension is, um, you know, certainly problematic for his career earnings. But if they can keep him on the field, he can start a third playoff game for you. Beyond that, though, it'll be interesting to see how Randy Dobnak adapts because he's such a ground ball guy. And the left side of that infield, if everyone stays healthy, is Josh Donaldson and Andrew right. Simmons. Mm. And the, the Twins have some success in the past of moving guys from short to second with success. Like Brian Dozier eventually became a gold glove winning second baseman. He came up as kind of a, a shaky shortstop. So the hope is that at least three of their four defenders will be average or plus, which would help, again, like uh, uh, guys like Randy Dobnek, who get tons of grounders, maybe not as many strikeouts. Hap is more of a fly ball guy. He's already in his late 30s. So... It's hard to know if there's any projectability there. But what they're going to do differently with him probably is something with fastballs up in the zone like they did with Jake Odorizzi, which is kind of counterintuitive for a guy that gives up a lot of fly balls and, right. as a result, home mm-hmm. runs. But the nice thing is he's leaving Yankee Stadium and going to target field. It's going to play a little bigger, too. So yeah. it doesn't take it doesn't take much of a cut in home run rate to take a so-so guy and turn them into you know someone who's a little more interesting, I think. Odorizzi, too, is a fly ball guy, and obviously now he's with the Astros. But beyond that, they're going to they're gonna probably try to move some of the kids fairly quickly. So the back end of the rotation is pretty fluid. And that was the case last year, too, between Pineda's suspension, Rich Hill's elbow, 
Homer Bailey barely pitched for them and got like $7 million. Right. And so they had all these guys that they kind of were hoping to help them. And Randy Dobnak, who was on the outside looking in when the season started, ended up making like the third most starts on the team. So I think they're still in a pretty good spot. And if Matt Shoemaker can stay healthy, he's probably going to give them at least a, a few innings at the back of the rotation. But that's a huge question mark. I think they would have been better suited signing someone like James Paxton or Taiwan Walker. Um, I was surprised Walker got a multi-year deal, but yeah. good for him. Mm-hmm. I thought it made sense to go a little bit higher, higher, uh, higher end, higher ceiling, maybe even right. a Drew Smiley. But they went the route they went. I think they'll be okay, though, if either Jordan Balazovich or Johan Duran can debut at some point this season. Right. Also, so right uh, along the line of the rotation, do you think Barrios or Maeda is like the established ace? Right now, I'm leaning towards Maeda just based off he has better exit velocity numbers, a better mm-hmm. uh, Woba against. Do you think that changes this year, or do you think Maeda stays like the true number one? Um, I think the Twins view him as the number one. They announced he's going to start opening day. Barrios is going to start game two. Again, that's a lot of times that's ceremonial, but if they were going right. to go ceremonial, it would probably be Barrios, who's been a twin now for you know five years or six yeah. years. But I think Maeda has just got the more predictable profile and he doesn't rely so much on stuff. I mean, his stuff is pretty good, but it's not high octane. It's, it's location and execution. Whereas, you know, the Brios has, when he has his fastball going, it's 96 and the big curveball and a good change up. And, you know, you can, but, you know, sometimes he'll get some run on his fastball, but, if he's giving up fly balls, sometimes they're leaving the park and he'll have a stretch every year where he'll look like he doesn't belong in a big league rotation and he'll have a stretch every year where he looks like he should be a number one. Yeah. Whereas I think, I think my is just a little bit more balanced, but again, too, we have to be caught, uh, aware of the fact that that was Maeda in a 60 game season. And he's been more of a lower workload kind of guy as the Dodgers have used him in the bullpen and, and, and frankly kind of jerked him around. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how innings 150 to 180 go for both of these guys, assuming they both reach that mark. Because if they do, then it might favor Barrios a little more, although mm-hmm. he too is known for fading down the stretch. So I think it's it's really neck and neck. It's a 1A, 1B situation, but I favor Maeda at this point by just, a, just an eyelash. So like um, <clears throat> throughout the league, you've seen that, kind of owners just refusing to really spend this year, don't want to go over the luxury tax with, you know, losing money because of COVID and with the new CBA next year. Um, do you think that come deadline, if someone like, say, I'm not including his deferred money, assuming the Nationals would eat that, it's like Max Scherzer hits the market, would the Twins be willing, do you think, to blow by the luxury tax in order to get that kind of game-changing piece? Or do you think that that's a hard cap for them well for now it's it's more of a self-imposed uh spending limit because they're not real close to the the luxury tax but they are right around that mark of the highest they've ever gone but i've gotten the sense that they would go probably higher if the situation was deemed appropriate and the owner who his father got a lot of grief and guff over not spending at the metrodome has uh, the, the current owner who inherited the team from his father has not really earned that reputation. You know, they gave out the biggest free agent contract in franchise history to Josh Donaldson a year ago. And it was by a more than, uh, I think it was a, a, twice as much as they'd given out before in any outside deal. So he's not as, he's more of a maverick than his father. And I think that that kind of bodes well for the twins. If they're hanging in that mix and need, whoever you like to kind of get you over the hump. I think there's a good chance the twins would go get them. And if money is the obstacle rather than prospects, I think that's a lot easier to swallow for this front office. They'd rather keep their kids and shell out some money as opposed to trading the top two guys and getting a rental or something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, along those lines, again, you mentioned like the prospects organizational depth there. How has that impacted? I know Royce Lewis went down early this spring. What's his outlook with the team? Do you think he could maybe get moved at a low value, or are they going to stick with him through the injury? Yeah, they'll stick with him just because of the equity with the number one overall pick. But his future at short is probably more murky than people want to admit. 
Yeah. Not not because he can't play short, but he might just be better suited someplace else. I think he's got the arm to play third, and now with the way things line up, it might be time for him to play third as the Donaldson contract comes to an end. Granted, we're not right. even halfway through it. So he could be a super utility for a while, get his feet wet, play some second base, whatever. But the I think the elephant in the room or the thing that nobody wants to talk about is if Byron Buxton doesn't re-sign after next year, they're going to need a long-term center fielder. And Gilberto Celestino could be that guy, but also Lewis could be that guy. If he's not going to stick in the infield, right. maybe maybe you do a B.J. Upton kind of thing with him where you put him out there and just kind of let him go. So I think there's a lot at play for Lewis, but he wasn't particularly close to the big leagues. So this will be like almost two years off because he didn't play right. affiliated ball. He played at the alternate site last year. So he's got a lot to, lot to catch up on. He's got a lot of moving parts in his swing. I I think he's going to need a few months next year before they can even look at him. So I think he's he's fully entrenched in their plans, but it's uh yes, he's in our plans. No, we don't know where exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So with those uh account with the future plans, was Simmons we got a one-year deal with Minnesota. So do you think that that is a stopgap and that they're going to try to get one of the big fish on next year's market or do you think that they trust the or you or do you think that was more so in, for another year of development for the kids yeah i think it's to kick the can down the road a little bit and just see what the marketplace looks like in a year because you the way you look at it now i think it's seven pretty good shortstops you know you've got the core five story Baez, seager and lindor and Correa. Correa. And then you're going to have Semyon back on the market and Simmons back on the market because mm-hmm. Didi got a two-year deal, I think it was. Right. So you're going to have a, like a quarter of the league shortstops up for grabs. Uh, you know, I, I think of all of them that I would like for the Twins. I mean, I granted I grew up or I, I watched Francisco Lindor as like a 16-year-old and he was already at that point one of my favorite players. But I think I think um, I think Trevor Story is the guy I'd want out of that group. But you know, the cost is going to be high. It's going to be yeah. many, many, many millions. So do they, you know, let the market play out a little bit and see which one of those guys maybe doesn't quite reach their ceiling in terms of earnings? Mm-hmm. Do they circle back to Semyon, depending on what kind of year he has with the Blue Jays this year? I think it's still wide open. And the other wrench in the mix is what's the CBA situation going to be like? Because yeah. if that's going well, which I don't think it's going to, but it, it could. Um, you're looking at a situation where the Twins could structure a deal to maybe backload the contract a little bit until Donaldson's dollars come off the books in, in what is going to be two years later at that point. And so I think they could stomach a $25 million a year deal to a guy like a Trevor Story over, let's say, seven or eight years. Now, that's risky, but if that's what it takes and – they've decided that Royce Lewis might be better suited at third, then that might be the path to go. Definitely, yeah. Um, Tyler Duffy, uh, I've seen him in spring training a little this year. I saw like his velo, I think, was down two, three miles an hour. He's looked mm-hmm. a little shaky. Uh, obviously, as a Yankees fan, I remember like him struggling in the playoffs against us. What's his outlook this year? Is his velo like, consistently dropping, or was that just like a one-time thing? Uh I really, I really am not sure how to read that at this point because his tenure as a really good reliever has been so short that it's kind of hard to read exactly. Like, so Joe Nathan, who obviously you're familiar with, yeah, because he also got crushed by the Yankees. <laughs> uh, he would show up to spring every year throwing like 85, and then by oh. by April 1st he'd be like 94, 95 with a nasty curveball, which back then was throwing hard. Now it's yeah. just run of the mill. With Duffy, I'm not totally sure it, what that looks like because as a starter, he didn't throw all that hard either. I think 91, 92, and then it kind of crept up as a reliever. So I think it's probably nothing to worry about quite yet, but I think if you give it another week or 10 days when you start getting into the narrowing of the roster, you know, obviously he's making the roster. That's not in question. Obviously he's going to be in the back of their bullpen. Yeah. That's not in question. But it's just a matter of there's still some lack of, clarity as far as who's going to be the the primary closer i think it's still going to be taylor rogers but alex column is in that mix i think tyler duffy's in that mix 
And I think if everything broke right at some point this season, maybe even Hansel Robles or Jorge Alcala could sneak into that mix. But if Duffy doesn't at least look semi like he did last year, the bullpen becomes a lot thinner. So it's definitely something Mm -hmm. I'm monitoring. I'm just not quite sure how to project it at this point because there are some guys who they'll be 88 their first outing, 90 their second, 92 their third, and then 95 up, 95 and up after. Yeah. But I'll, I'll definitely be watching with bated breath as he throws again. Uh, I think he's slated to throw here pretty soon. So, yeah, we'll see what it looks like. Hopefully hopefully he's in the 90s, which would be uh, a, certainly a step forward. Yeah, um, I don't know if Ajay has any more questions, but my my last question at least is uh, not to you know throw salt in the wound, but what is it like, you know, given that 18-game playoff losing streak like is making the playoffs is the thinking like this this will be the year every time you make it or is it like is the expectation just always like okay this we know how this ends well what you need to know about minnesota sports fans is that we're kind of self-loathing and so (laughs) we've had our hearts broken more times than we can count you got the vikings in 98 and 99 and you've got the timberwolves have they went to the playoffs and lost in the first round like five straight years. The Wild have never won a Stanley Cup despite us being the state of hockey. And like the only thing we've had going for us in recent years has been the Minnesota Lynx, the WNBA team who's who's been stacked. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. now they've kind of fallen back a little bit, but they're they're loaded up again this year. So the the biggest dynamic is because it has been so spread out, it's for someone like me who views baseball analytically. 18 games is a lot of games, but it's spread out over this will be season number 18 of that. So, mm. I mean, you're looking at the Tory Hunter era. You're looking at the Joe Maurer era. You're looking at the Brian Dozier era. And now you're looking at the Byron Buxton era. That's all kind of spread out. And then, too, like, so Rocco, the manager, who you guys probably saw with Tampa Bay a few years ago playing, coaching, mm. and also he, was, yep. he played for them. Um he said that he wasn't too worried about it back in 2019, his rookie season. And some people didn't really care for that. And it was basically him saying, listen, I can't atone for the losses that have happened before I was here. The best I can do is do the best with what I have and move forward. But I think now after five straight playoff losses under Rocco, he's like, okay, first of all, you have to understand that the fans have been the same the whole time. And that's why they view it one way and Rocco views it another way, but it's also just passion. And so you want to give fans credit for having the passion and still wanting you to win. What kind of curbs that anger is the fact that the twins were so bad from 2011 until frankly, really 2019 that Mm. the first couple of years here, they've been like, Oh, finally back to the playoffs. Now what? And at this point now, it's like, okay, you got to win a playoff game. You got to win a playoff series. Right. Maybe you don't win the World Series, but you got to start doing something in October to make these games watchable. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, last question, kind of uh, segment into like our next part here. How do you think you guys stack up against the division, and who do you have winning the division? Well, I think they do stack up well. I think the White Sox are a little overrated, honestly. And yeah. we saw, so the Twins in 2017 had a nice year. They played in the wild card game, lost, of course. And then uh, the next year, they kind of fell back to the pack. They added some pretty significant talent. Logan Morrison was coming off a big year. Lance Lynn had come off Tommy John, but looked okay. And they had a few bullpen guys, uh, Fernando Rodney, Addison Reed, and a few other guys. And they looked poised to really be ready, ready to thrust that window open. Now, that that doesn't mean that the White Sox are going to take that step backward, but I think people are way too caught up in the idea that young guys can only get better. And we've seen Mm. countless times that that's not true. So if one of those players becomes a superstar, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yoan Mankata even, who had a tough year last year, if one of those guys becomes a superstar, that that covers up some of their depth issues because – they're going to give a lot of plate appearances to guys like Lurie Garcia and Adam Eaton, and that's not what you want. Not ideal. So, yeah. So they don't have depth. And, again, to their rotation, one through three, is solid. After that, it's questionable. It's it's not a guarantee that Dallas Keuchel is going to be terrific. He had a tough stretch towards the end of his uh, Astros tenure slash with the Braves. Yeah. And he's a lefty that doesn't throw very hard. So 
things can happen. Lance Lynn, I think, is going to be fine. I think Lucas Giolito is going to be fine. But they traded five years of Dane Dunning for one year of Lance Lynn. I mean, maybe they signed Lance Lynn in the offseason or during the season to an extension. We'll see. But the, the back of their bo- their back of their rotation is yucky. It's not good at all. And then their bullpen has got a lot of guys who can really chuck it. But I'm not sure how sustainable it is. I just I think that they're viewed as this darling, this sexy team who has a boomer manager and has uh, a lot of pieces not in place where they need to be to the point where if they won 84 games and finished in second place by 10 games, I wouldn't be that shocked. So I'm, I'm going on the record as saying the White Sox are overrated right now. And the fact that they're a minus 400 to win the pennant and the Twins are minus 800 is a joke. It's an absolute joke. Yeah, I I really do agree with you about the White Sox. Like, I think their ceiling is extremely high, but there Absolutely. are so many ifs with that team. I mean, you have to, you know, you know, will like you said. I mean, will Keuchel stay? I mean, he had some bad years in Atlanta, like you said. He was good last year, but will he maintain that? I don't know. Will Lynn stay consistent like he has the past few years? And then, I mean, in terms of the kids, it's like you know. Uh, Luis Robert was bad the second half of the season. Really so bad. Be able to, yeah, will he be able to take a step forward? Will Eloy be able to continue taking steps forward? Like, there's so many, there's so much youth on that team that, like, you know, Yasmani Grandal, you are, you can count on him to be one of the best catchers in baseball, but there's all, there's just so many question marks. And like you said, it's kind of, you know, you, when there's a young team, you get excited about the, about, you know, what, they could become, but they still have to become it before you. they actually reach that full potential. Well, and the Twins started it in 2015. Mm. You know, they, they made the postseason as a, or was it they, th- they threatened and came close. Either way, they had a good season, and then they had 2017. Everything was just kind of a, a hopscotch. It was a good year, a bad year, a good year, a bad year, a mm. good year, a bad year, and, and it just made no sense. I don't think the White Sox are going to be immune from that. And I don't think they necessarily spent their resources well this offseason, whether you like their manager or not, first and foremost. And then second of all, they spent a ton of money on a closer in a year where relievers like Trevor May, who maybe isn't as good as Liam Hendricks, but he's pretty freaking good, got like $7 million a year, and Hendricks right. got more than double that. That's that's just poor use of, of assets to me or, or allocation. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but if you look at – reliever stability Hendrick's own teammate Blake Trinan had a crazy ERA like two years ago and then yep. he was so shaky that the cheap A's nor granted they're cheap non-tendered him so I don't it's not that I don't think Liam Hendricks is awesome it's just maybe he has a four ERA this year maybe it just happens you know maybe he yeah. gets up a couple more homers because the I almost said U.S. Cellular but uh guaranteed rate plays Smaller than Oakland. I, who knows? So I just I don't I don't I don't think their offseason was nearly as good as everybody thinks. Yeah, I mean, even their bullpen, right? Like you guys mentioned, they're relying on a lot of young guys. So like Huyer, Kopech is there. Um, Aaron Foster has been pretty solid as a lefty. But um, Fo- yeah, Foster's another one. Evan Foster. Marshall. They've got some yep. guys who should be good, but by no means are guaranteed to be good. Right. I'm pretty sure they're also relying on, like, Zach Collins to mix in DH at first base. Nick Madrigal, yeah. right? They're starting second base right now. I don't... That's yeah, scary. It's not yeah. enough. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, Madrigal's been talked up as a good prospect, right? But he's a guy that, like, hits singles and doubles. Not the most productive in, like, yeah. today's game. So, yeah, I'm definitely on board with you two. I think the Twins would win this division. Yeah, so, um... Move, so just before we uh, let you go, just a quick projection around the league. What do you got for the AL East, AL West, and then the three NL divisions? Oh, Obviously, no. you have in the Central. You're going to hate me for the East, but I think the Blue Jays are going to win the East. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. Wow. I know. Here's the problem. Here's the problem I have. I think the Yankees are stacked. I really do like their offense. There's just so many question marks in that pitching rotation. I, I like Tyone, and I think he could become something. It's not going to be like Garrett Cole leaving and going to the Astros. It's not going to be quite like that, where you know the guy turns yeah, the corner. He's he's going to be he's going to be good if he can stay healthy. And that's been kind of an issue with guys like him and uh, Tyler Glasnow, who the Pirates also traded. Yeah. But again, the the arm talent is very clearly there. But I think the mistake was letting Tanaka get away because Tanaka could have been the glue for this rotation 
where you really have high hopes for um, Severino coming back. And I, I don't know how well they still view like Jordan Montgomery, but they've got some fun kids coming up that, you know, they've got some exciting guys. And obviously you've got to be excited about Garrett Cole at the front end. That's, that's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. But, you know, they've got to replace the, the innings that hop through. Again, they weren't great innings, obviously, but they were innings. They were they're necessary. And um, and Tanaka, that's that's some innings they're going to have to close the gap on. And uh, and what about Sabathia? Am I missing? Did he retire after 19 or 20? That was uh, after 19. Yeah. OK, yeah. so he didn't pitch. OK, for some reason, I was thinking they had to replace his innings, too. But that's uh, that's not accurate. No, yeah. Luck, they luckily, Montgomery is luckily. five. Yeah. yeah, so I, I don't know how they view Montgomery. I think he's still intriguing, even for a guy who's not pitched that much. Um, I yeah. think they have a lot of interesting guys. And and to be fair, Toronto has the same questions because outside of Ryu, who's not nearly as good as Cole, you right. know, they're relying on guys like Robbie Ray and, and Tanner Rourke. It's, Steven Matz, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. So it just comes down to, I think, that if you've got two offenses kind of bashing each other, um, I think the Blue Jays are more likely to stay healthy, and that's that's the difference for me. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I, I mean, the whole Yankees thing is health, and this year mm-hmm. they don't have the hitting depth that they've had in past years, but they do have mm-hmm. pitching depth that is much higher than they did have. Um, Tanaka, like, I just feel bad for him, really, because, like, it's clear. I think he wanted to go back to Japan, at least for this year, because he wanted um, – I don't think he wanted to deal with all the COVID stuff in America. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is the – he the last two years, he just had to completely change how, how he pitched because of the new balls. And because right. the, the seams were lower and he couldn't get as good of a grip that he had on a splitter. And then this year, at least according to Blake Snell and a couple other guys, they, they said the seams are, are more uh, – uh, pronounced than that, you know that mm-hmm. they're dead. They're the balls are more dead than they've been. So I think Tanaka kind of just left at the wrong moment. But I definitely get what you mean. I, I mean the Yankees. I, I've I've said this. I mean you know they have such a hit or miss rotation, especially. And obviously mm-hmm. you know you hope you know, Judge Stanton. Hopefully they can stay healthy because I want a full year from them, which would be just unbelievable. Hicks, Hicks too. Hicks, yeah. I I love Hicks. I was a huge Hicks fan coming up. So. Yeah, Hicks is so, he's so underrated. He his walk rate is just like twenty percent last year or stuff like that. Like the dude, dude he's do you a, do you guys think there's any chance after a year away Tanaka would come back? Yeah, he said he has quote unfinished business in America. So I I think he wants to come back and I think he wants to you know try to win a World Series. And I don't think he'd mind doing it with the Yankees. It was just it really did tick me off that I think the Yankees have the best opportunity that they've had in years to make the world series. Cause I think most other teams are taking a step back and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think there's any, in terms of roster, I don't think there's any team on their level. And I think that they didn't, they, they, they chose this as the year to go under the luxury tax. And right. We said it. Which yeah. one I think is dumb because I think the luxury tax is a goner in the new CBAs. Yeah. And in addition to that, it's just like, like, come on, like, like this is the year you could have, you know, taken that next step. And, you know, maybe a guy like you, Darvish, that was a guy I wanted them to be all over because he, he got traded for scraps because yep. the team, the Padres just took the money. And I think that that really, like, a move like that would have made me happier. But, I mean, Cashman did what he could with the, um, you know, self-imposed uh, cap. But I, I still, I mean, I still would, I still think they're going to win the division just because I think that they, even if you, and I think that I hope they stay healthy. But even if you take Judge and stand out of that lineup, it's still a really good lineup. Like it's just yeah, you know, yeah. You know, Clint Frazier's their nine hitter right now. He goes up to seven or whatever. It's still a pretty good lineup. Um, and Jay Bruce, I think, could be a really big ad that they got him as that backup um, mm-hmm. in the outfield and DHing. So I probably I, I'm still gonna. I mean, I'm also a homer, but I I still think that the Yankees are gonna take the division. And also, like you said, I the Blue Jays pitching. I I think especially against a team like the Yankees with that, that righty heavy. I just don't think it's going to last very well. Well, I think, too, I could be just doing to the Blue Jays what other people do to the White Sox, where it's yeah. everyone wants to be excited about somebody different just for for the sake of, especially with the East, you know, it's just been, it's been dominated by the Yankees, Red Sox, and even the Rays. It's been so long since we've talked about the Blue Jays. We even talked about the Orioles five years ago when they had Machado yeah. and all that. Yeah. The Blue Jays have just not been relevant for a long time, and it's fun for that fan base, and it's even fun for baseball fans who are purists to want everyone to 
at least try to contend. Yeah, the parody is definitely something. You know, it's, it, it does feel like it's it's getting even less parody over the past yep. couple of years. Like it, it really does feel like outside maybe the AL West and the NL Central, I feel like you can predict at least like. You can predict 12 teams that will be the 10 playoff teams. Like, you, you mm-hmm. have a pretty good idea, you know, in the AL East and the NL West, obviously, the NL East, pretty obviously, I think. Uh, and then yep. the AL Central, you know, it's going to probably, it's going to be the Twins of the White Sox. Like, I, I don't see Cleveland right. making any short run right. offense. It's just so bad. Um, so you got the Blue Jays in the East. What, are you, what about the AL West? Oakland for me. I think Houston t- takes a step back with. Verlander, Hurt, and Springer out of the picture. So, I mean, Oakland's going to look a little different with no Hendricks, and they're they're still always a team that's uh, kind of in transition. But mm-hmm. I feel like they're they're Tampa Bay West, or you can call Tampa Bay Oakland East, whichever yeah. floats, floats yeah. your boat, I guess. Uh, so I think I think it's Oakland for me. I think Texas is lost in the woods. I think Seattle has got the needle pointing in the right direction, kind of like Kansas City, and I think that. The Astros under Dusty Baker are still going to be interesting, but I mean, they were under 500 last year. And I, I don't know. I didn't see a team that was likely to dig that much further out of it over the long haul. Their bullpen was bad. Their rotation is young with Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy. Um, You know, it's too bad for Amber Valdez is hurt, Yeah, but it could have been, yeah, it could have been fun. And, yeah. It could have been fun and young. And now it's, uh, it's got more questions than answers. Although Jake Odorizzi is a nice pickup. Absolutely. So, uh, in the NL, what, what do you what do you got for the East? I think that's going to be a really good race. Honestly, I think the Braves are still just a half step up on the Mets. Mm. I, I can't help but feel like the Mets might still do uh, some Metsing. <laughs> you know, be their own worst enemy. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, think think about how how close that uh, J Lo and A Rod could have been to being involved in that ownership <laughs> group. And then they split up before the regular season even starts. I mean, that would have been just such vintage Mets. And granted, the curse uh, of J Lo would have been something on New York Post background. Like, well, and and they probably would have signed Bauer just to put the icing on the cake, uh, <laughs> just make it all so screwy. Um, so I, I still think the Braves, but it's not by much. It's those two are are good. I think the Phillies are going to be decent. They're not going to be good, but they're going to be decent. And I think the Nationals will be decent, too. They've got a lot of talent. And Florida, excuse me, Miami. I'm still used to the Florida Marlins as a kid. Um, The Miami Marlins had a playoff run last year. It was very improbable. But they've got some young talent as well. And they've got some interesting things going on in the organization. So it's kind of up in the air. But I think it's Atlanta and then the Mets for me in that order. Yep, that's definitely fair. I think that it's those. I mean, it's... I think it's pretty clearly one of those two. I mean, I don't see the Nationals or Phillies making a run and Miami's it's a couple years behind. Mm-hmm. Um, the Central, that's a hell of a division. Uh, you know, who, who do you think ends up getting that one? It's not a very good division, I don't think. No, no um, it's not. <laughs> I'm thinking the Cardinals, but that's because Arenado, for me, pushes them over the, the hump. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of like who the Twins want to be as far as you bring up and you create all these really good players who, um, you know, your Matt Carpenters and your Yadier Molinas and the guys that you kind of have rise through your system or whatever. And then every now and then you go get somebody, whether it's a uh, Jason Hayward or, uh, or uh, Larry Walker back in the day um, when you're, when you're close to that, that hump to try to kind of finish things off. And I just, I think that getting Arenado like they did, moves Carpenter in kind of a utility role with Goldschmidt at first. I just think they have a little more talent. They always seem to have pretty good pitching and, uh, and a pretty good bullpen. So I think they're in a, a space where they're going to win the division, and it might be by a fairly comfortable margin. Milwaukee's interesting. Chicago's got a few things still going on, but they're mostly kind of in teardown mode. And obviously Pittsburgh is, is just disastrous. And the Reds can hit, but I don't think they can pitch enough to really make any noise. Yeah, I think before the Arnauto move, I probably had that division at three mediocre teams, one below average team, and then the Pirates. But like, yep, yep. I think I think that Arnauto, I guess, puts them to that above average level that you know will we'll probably get them the division. I, I agree. With like that. like eighty eight wins or something like that. Eighty nine yeah. wins. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. They're not. They they will. 
I, I, I was talking um at uh, some of the guys at Diamond Digest, but we were saying, like, you have, like, the best spot to be in is to be the number two division winner in the NL. In the NL, like, and I'm assuming the Dodgers have the best record. So you want to win the NL East, and that's the best spot to be in. Because the Dodgers are going to have to play in that first round, assuming they win either the Padres or, using your projections, probably the winner of the Padres-Mets wildcard game. And that's mm-hmm. a tough series. And on the other end, you'd so much rather be the Braves playing the Cardinals. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that, that is a significantly easier series than having to play that wild card team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... The, the NL is going to go through the Dodgers again, uh, kind of a segue, I guess, to the, the last division. But the Padres, um, you know, it's like a, a, on a lesser end, the Blue Jays, like the Blue Jays are the, the poor man's Padres. They made some noise. They made some moves, but not nearly what the Padres did. But at the same time, too, the Padres have to keep up with the Dodgers, which has to be just impossible to think yeah. about. And then, yeah. you know, the Dodgers go and get Bauer. And honestly, that. That might be the the Tony Larusa of the NL, where everything you tried to build just kind of gets crapped on. Because I, honestly, I don't think Trevor Bauer is going to be um, healthy in that marketplace. I just it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah, I I like that. All right, well, uh, Jay, you got any final thoughts with uh, Brandon? Uh, no, we appreciate you coming on. Got some good uh, Twins talk, some division winners, and maybe a couple guys that bust up for their teams, kind of ruining things. Yeah, man. Uh, well, good luck. Good luck to your twins this year. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it should be fun. If, if, if all goes to plan, we'll be seeing you in October, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, yeah, man. Th- thanks for coming on, and um, have a good have a good one. Anytime. Hit me up again if you want. Thanks, awesome. Man. All right. Later.